Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed. Blender HD. Follow me there on Twitter. And this is the show where we get up. We get up in the morning, right? I'm a night guy, so like this is this is. I mean, it's kind of early for me. I I got up early. I got up at like nine today. So the apple juice is from earlier so you have to really keep it try to keep it cold today here on youtube hit that thumbs up button give me the thummy thumbs to keep the apple juice somewhat i mean it's 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 kind of warm as it is right it's from like two or three hours ago but you can do it hit the thumbs up button hit the subscribe button hit the notification bell to know when we go live because this is the show in the morning this is what i do in the morning go check out results db with the contest from yesterday See if there are any uh, interesting constructions that some of the top players uh, did in a large field contests. I uh, start looking at today's slate. Today's slate is what we got. We got 10 games or something. Who knows? Who knows what it'll end up being? Who knows? It could be nine games. It could 17 people could be out. We never know. So that's why we don't necessarily focus on picks and plays and stuff for today's slate. Go through some strategy questions. Feel free to post that. In the chat, I see everyone here on YouTube. Meet Plow, Mr. Plow's here in the morning. Mr. Plow, thanks for showing up. Card fan, Matthew P, DJ Cicero, Sam Deal, Kevin Copeland, Kagan Hopkins, Daniel Hutchings, Matt Meir. I feel like Romper Room with a little, little mirror. I don't know. Is that, a, is that too old of a reference for most of you? But whatever, you get it. We've got all the people in the chat room. Uh, feel free to post your questions. I'll scroll back, so don't worry. So you don't have to post it a million times. Uh, I'll be talking a lot for the next uh, hour or so. A little, little shorter show today. I always have meetings on uh, Wednesday with the lineup HQ team. So uh, maybe we don't go an entire hour today. But yesterday, yesterday was, uh, yesterday showed how fragile projections could be when it comes to allocating minutes. And you should take, you should take this uh, in mind. Keep this in mind. For future slates, uh, we had uh, Eric Pascal as as chalk, which never goes well. I mean, it doesn't even matter, right? Didn't matter even if he played thirty two minutes; it probably wouldn't have gone well, right? It never works out, but we do it anyway. Uh, uh, Wiseman is is out for the next two weeks or so, and uh, we expected, especially with the no front court depth for the Warriors that we'd see Draymond Green at the five some more. We'd see Eric Pascal at the four and the five some more. Uh, but uh, Justin Toscano-Anderson kind of filled in in the five role and Pascal didn't really, his role didn't change. He was he was the direct backup to Draymond Green. And uh, if he projected his minutes uh, that he was going to get minutes at the five, obviously he didn't get him. So, so it's very, those are the types of fragile situations there are. Same thing for Anthony Simons. Right, we saw before Locke, we had uh, well, Derek Jones Jr. was out, and then uh, and then who else got ruled out? We got plenty of people ruled out for the Blazers. Hood started, we didn't expect Hood to play more than maybe 26 to 28 minutes. He ended up playing 35 minutes, and Simons only played like 12 minutes. But it turns out afterwards, we heard from Stotts that uh, Simons actually had an injury, right? That's why he played for like three minutes in the first half. Uh, three minutes in like this first rotation and then came out like almost immediately. And apparently it's because uh, he was, he had a bit of an injury thing. So they kept his minutes low, but in those situations where we're trying to basically predict uh, 
the the rotation the new rotations of a team when uh, certain players are out and we get these backup guys that are typically cheap right Eric Pascal was 3500 on DraftKings Anthony Simons was a little bit up uh, 43 but uh but but I mean he was playing like 28 29 minutes even before the Blazers only had like eight bodies to play so how would you expect him to go back down to 12 well these are these are wide range of outcomes types of players okay when the minutes volatility is high, we like the usage. Okay, okay, we, we, we can predict the usage, but the minutes are going to be wide range. Like Vooch, you don't have to worry about that, right? You don't have to worry about Vooch. Don't have to worry about Westbrook pretty much, right? You don't have to worry about Jalen Brown. You don't have to worry, even Cole Anthony, when uh, they had Aaron Gordon out. Even guys like DeAnthony Melton, you don't have to worry about. You know, he's going to get at least 20 minutes. Maybe he'll get 26 but that'll, that'll be a range in and of itself. But sometimes these guys where it's like, well, this guy's out and this guy's in and the rotation may change and we could predict the most likely outcome, the most likely allocated minutes. But that doesn't mean that it's going to happen. So sometimes taking advantage of the field's overconfidence in the minutes projection is a benefit. So if you didn't take Pascal last night, if you didn't take Simons last night, you got a big leg up on, on, on the field. The fadeaway, 34%, 25%, you know, add that up, and that's you know, 60% of lineups had one of those two guys in it. Right? Kevon Looney got injured, right? He was 19% owned in the fadeaway. I mean, he was fine. He was about 3,400. But I mean, he would have ended up probably somewhere close to 20 points, 22 points, but he got injured, and it still didn't matter for Pascal. Right, just meant more. Just uh, Justin Toscano Anderson, and uh, and he was he was barely owned. Right, right, point two seven percent. Right, none of these guys had him because he wasn't even in the rotation before. So I mean, Pascal was thirty four percent. Toscano Anderson was point two seven percent. We had Anthony Simons at twenty five percent, but like Robert Covington was seven percent. Carmelo Anthony. 23%. Okay, so he was he was owned a little bit more. Hood, 12%. So in those types of situations where the field may be overconfident in the in, in, in the minutes, not necessarily the usage, but just in the minutes, that the the minutes volatility was going to be high. Because this is normal. This is a normal strategic evaluation that you do for GPPs, like regardless of that. That the more volatile the player is the more likely that you should be above or below what the, what, what the field is going to judge it at. A very volatile player that's going to be chalk, maybe, maybe that, that's, a good, that's a good player to find leverage on. But a high volatile player that's going to barely be owned, that's when you want to take advantage of those, that high variance. We saw yesterday, uh, the day before, with uh, Malik Monk. Right, Everyone, everyone piled onto LaMelo Ball. Right? He's going to start with Rozier out. And you knew that Monk was going to be the first guard off the bench and he was fairly cheap, but everyone's piling to LaMelo Ball and Malik Monk sitting there at the 12% versus LaMelo Ball was like 60%. Doesn't make LaMelo Ball a bad play. Doesn't make Malik Monk the better play. It's just that the disparity of ownership between the two means that maybe you take a shot at the more volatile player from a minutes perspective, right? It's, it's a lot of times if choosing between two players in GPP that I'm more likely to take a high usage player that may walk into extra minutes 
rather than the opposite, than the guy that already gets a ton of minutes and just has to walk into usage. Because typically that doesn't happen as much, right? You can play a guy 35 minutes. He normally plays 35 minutes. And then this guy is out and you're like, oh, but maybe the usage goes to him. Probably doesn't. He's already playing 35 minutes at, you know, 0.64 fantasy points per minute. Like what's the chances that he's going to automatically turn into a one, one point per minute fantasy point per minute type of player? Probably not as much as the guy off the bench, possibly. That's a one fantasy point per minute player that normally plays 18 minutes. Maybe he walks into 24, 26, right? We see that with Jordan Clarkson, these six men off the bench, Terrence Ross, those types of guys, but their minutes are going to be volatile. So a lot of times when they're chalk, I'm, I'm, I'm looking more likely to, to not play them in a lineup than play them in a lineup. doesn't mean I didn't play Pascal or Simons last night. I played them both in my cash lineup. I played them both in cash on DraftKings and still made money, right? We look at the, the cash game spreadsheet, which you could uh, you could see, you could track with me, theoryofdfs.com. Go to tracker.theoryofdfs.com. Clean sweep, two days in a row. We're rallying, we're going to the moon, baby, right? Game stocks, go, GameStop is going down. My cash lineup's going up. So, I mean, even, you know, playing 10% and going up the past three days, I mean, it's nearly, it's nearly doubled. I mean, maybe 80% swept on all three sites. So now we're up to $13,137 profit. You can see the graph here. To the moon, baby. To the moon, baby. There you go. I mean, it'll come back down. It'll go up and down. We're positive on all three sites now. A little bit underneath the expected, you know, to, to beat the effective rake on DraftKings, but that uh, hopefully that'll go up. We're doing well in cash. So I played Pascal and Simons in cash games on DraftKings. Played Pascal on FanDuel. Still, still made it. Still got over the line. Played neither on Yahoo, and that got me over the line there. Diversification. I mean, that I always preach that. So I'm, I'm not playing the same exact players on all three sites because they're the salaries are different. The positional construction is different. So, yeah, if, if Pascal and Fandle may have killed me and then I still went on DraftKings and then you don't, you don't make, like it was a $2,200 increase. So it ends up being like an $800 increase. I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's fine. We don't need, we don't need hockey stick growth. Just keep this going up over time. So I'll play 10% tonight. That's about 3,300. And let's see what happens. Maybe, maybe I bomb all three and then it comes back down. You know what I mean? This is a chart. It'll go up, it'll go down. Just glad I'm above the line of zero. So that's all that matters. So looking at the players from yesterday, let me look in the YouTube chat first to see if you got any questions. Uh, Brandon Stinson asks, uh, do you ever play single game slates? If so, what strategies do you use for those? Uh, typically I don't, not to the playoffs. I mean, I can, just I'm, I'm only one person. I have to, there's only a certain amount of time that I have. But essentially, if you're playing large field contests for the single game slates, yeah, you have to find a way to get unique. Doesn't mean you have to be nuts, but find a way in the NBA showdowns to play it just at the Toscano Anderson. Someone in our Discord, uh, Roto-Grinders Discord, which is a premium, premium offering here. I'm in there all the time. So sign up. Click on the link in the description. You get $10 off your first month. But someone in there, you know, won a bunch of, I think he came in first with uh, Toscano Anderson. 
uh, at like 2% owned in showdown. Like there's aren't that many options in showdown. How did he end up only being 2% owned? Well, there you go. He was unique enough, had Curry in the captain. Toscano Anderson got enough points. Uh, Curry, there you go, you're done, right? Pretty easy. But you have to find a way to get unique. If you're just going to play all the best plays, you know, the optimal type of lineup, large field GPPs are probably not the way to go. Chris is investing. Um, I assume that's not his last name. Uh, super thank you for all of your education. You have changed my DFS mindset. Ah, took down the quarter tournament last night. I know it's low stakes, but that's where I'm practicing. That's fine. That's fine. Don't be ashamed, Chris, Mr. Investing. Mr. You're, you're obviously investing. It's in your name. So you start small. That's what you should be doing. That's how I started. So you took down the quarter tournament last night. So that'll build your bankroll. And now you can start moving up. Not immediately. Don't immediately go, oh, play the Thunderdome. I mean, you probably didn't win that much money. But yeah, so, so don't, feel, don't feel ashamed that you would just play. Oh, I, I know it's not a lot, but I took down the quarter tournament. But great. You got to start somewhere. I don't I think we, 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 we if, if you're on Twitter, if you're in the DFS community, people think that, oh, if it's not six figures, you can't post a screenshot or something. Be proud of what you've done. It's hard to win at this game, no matter what stakes you play, especially larger field contests. Who cares if first place was a thousand bucks, 500 bucks, a hundred bucks, who cares? That adds to your profit. Are you getting better? Then fine, be proud of it. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna screenshot shame people. I mean, I didn't even post a screenshot. I'm more shame you that you didn't even use your real last name because we all know your last name isn't investing. Come on. Kagan Hopkins says, I've been listening to you for a while and I'm getting better at playing the right value plays, it, which doesn't exist. There's no right plays. But I always seem to miss the ceiling games for the best players. Well, that, that, <laughs> great. That's the story of my life. <laughs> it's the story of my life. Oh, you didn't have Fred Van Vliet last night. Oh, sorry, can't win. But you have to take a shot on those players. If you notice the ceiling players, we had Curry last night in some contests at like 5% owned. Fred Van Vliet was 15% owned. Was there any specific reason that you're like, oh, I'm, I, I need to play Van Vliet tonight. I need to play Curry tonight. No, but these are, these, these are ceiling level players. So if everyone's going on Westbrook, everyone's going on Vooch. There's nothing that says that Curry can't have a big game. There's nothing that says Van Vliet can't have a big game or Brogdon or Kawhi or Paul George or Lowry. So take a shot on those guys. That's what I did in GPP last night. I had a good night in GPP also. I got, I think, fourth in the showtime or something like that. Fifth, maybe. I took Miles Turner. He was less than 1% owned in the showtime. He put up like 48 points or something. Less than 1%. I didn't even realize he would be that low owned. But I played Vooch in that lineup. I'm like, how do I get different by playing Vooch in my lineup? Well, I got different by playing Turner in the other center spot. And I played Conley over Gobert. And Conley was like 1.7% owned. I didn't think these guys were going to be that low owned. I thought I'd get them at 5 to 10%. And that was my leverage. Conley plus Turner. And then the rest of my lineup was just chalk. Vooch and I had Jalen Brown. I had Pascal. I had Melton. You know, I mean, there you go. It's all the leverage I needed for a contest of that size. I, I, 
Obviously, I was over leveraged because I didn't realize Turner was going to come in at like 0.87% owned in in like a 300-man contest, but it worked out. It ended up working out. But yeah, if I I knew that beforehand, I probably wouldn't have gotten that that nuts. But essentially, that was my leverage, the Conley-Turner combination there. But yeah, but you have to take a shot. Like what, what made you like Miles Turner? Like nothing. He projected okay. He had a smash percentage of like 18%, which was not horrible on the slate. It was okay. And his ownership was nothing. Like, as I didn't see why people were playing Vooch. People were playing Looney. People were playing Green in the center spot or something. Sabonis, Gobert. So I'm like, what centers are going to be lost? Well, I'm going to play Turner. But of course, I didn't play Turner and Sabonis together. So that, that was my Sabonis pivot in that lineup. And instead of playing Gobert, you play Conley. So I'm playing the center. I'm playing the center that's leverage off of the chalk forward center combination, Sabonis. And then I'm playing the guard that's leverage off of the off of Gobert, which I thought, I thought would be a little bit more owned. And 15%, I guess. I think, I think it was, ended up being like 22 in the small field stuff. That's what you have to do. There's no specific reason. Well, why'd you play Mike Conley? Why not? It's the Pistons. He's playing the Pistons. 6,400. He can put up 40 points. The smash percentage was like 22%. I'm like, okay. It could happen tonight. Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't happen today. I played Fred Van Vliet in lineups with Vucevic. Seemed to make sense. You play either Van Vliet or Lowry. Because a lot of people were playing Vooch. But no one was playing, barely anyone was playing the, the, the Raptors. So I'll play Vooch. This is the way for me to get my Vooch lineups to be different by playing Van Vliet in those lineups. That Those lineups worked out. But why Van Vliet? But why not? <laughs> I mean, sometimes it just comes down to that. Why not? He didn't project poorly. He didn't project great. He had like a 25% smash percentage. Okay, maybe this is the time. Maybe today's the day. It's going to happen 25% of the time, according to our model. Maybe it's not today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Maybe it's the next game. But today, it could be. It's 15% owned. Seems plus EV to me. But you could say that about so many other players. Make a decision. Michael Lingelfelt, Lingle, 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 Lingenfelter says, big thanks to Contest Selection Podcast the other day. Yeah, I do a, me and Eric Beinford do a the Theory of DFS podcast. You could find that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We do it once a week, typically on Tuesdays. A little bit high, macro, high level, but uh, maybe a little bit more advanced application-based stuff than I do here. But go subscribe to that. We did a whole thing on contest selection, like really, really like the extremes of contest selection. It was timely on late, late last night's slates, according to Michael. Was able to get a 50% return when my lineups were on the line, barely making it right. Diversifying your action. Tyler Voss asks, I play mostly uh, 118 to 237 man winner take all contests. Okay, that's that's high variance. How much medium projection should be sacrificed for ownership and leverage? Two, 10, 20. There's no specific number. It depends on the slate. You're looking in relation to other players on the slate. Like, 
you're not going to give up 20 points if like there's no screaming value or anything because the difference between lineups is going to be very small. When there's screaming value, when there's, you know, guys that are four or five points, you know, strongly projected over their median, then in order to get leverage off of them, you're going to have to give up more median. So there's, there's no specific number. It's always going to be slate dependent. Let's go through the chat some more before we go over some things. Like Kai Roach says, I basically always take shots on dudes like Jokic and Luka and Embiid if they're under 10% owned. Yeah, absolutely. I look at that myself. I go, what studs, what even, even 7K, 7K, 8K players are just like just sitting there. Like they they don't project well, but they don't project poorly, but they're just sitting there that like on a 10-game slate at 3% owned. And go, if do, do I, can I play the cheap chalk now and then play that guy instead. So I'm not looking to necessarily like play a 3% on uh, Steph Curry and then also fade the value chalk. Like that's a way to get away from a Westbrook. Like, like there's going to be Vucevic and Westbrook yesterday were the ones that like, that was the chalk, but that's the expensive part of the chalk. So how do I, I could play, instead of playing Westbrook, I play Curry, but I still play Pascal in that lineup. I still play, you know, a Simmons. I still play a Looney in that lineup. I I end up still eating the cheaper chalk in those lineups, usually. But now you're pivoting off of the higher owned expensive players. That's a way that you could build leverage into your lineup while still not giving up all that much median projection. Let's see. Jake B says, I believe it was last week reviewed Squirrel Patrol pretty in depth. Do you believe the best way to gain leverage on the field is by stacking three to four players from the same team? It could be on a specific slate. If you noticed last week when I went over his lineups, like even said on Twitter, it's like he he did it for that slate. Like it's not going to be the same every slate. He thought it was a good strategy for that slate. He thought he he could get good leverage by doing it on that specific slate. But on other slates, he doesn't. There's no one thing that you always do. I mean, that's the main thing that, that why, why, why do I do the show every morning? If you did the same things every day and then you could make money, I don't do the show once. They'd put it on repeat. Why do we need Devin here to do it? They just but press the button to do yesterday's show. It's the same thing. No, of course not. You have to think for yourself on a specific slate. What is the best direction to go? And we see even amongst top players, there are multiple different directions to go. We have Forsaken here who is like, finally, I'm going to play Jeremy Grant at 8% owned after being on Twitter and saying how dumb it is to play Jeremy Grant when he goes off of that much. But he happened to be low owned on this slate. Right, he had some Lowry at 10%. But there's other people that like Westbrook, Micah J., under on Westbrook, played a bunch of Lowry, 10% on, played Gorgie Jeng. I mean, look at this. Kelly Oubre at 7%, 6% on. How did they get different in their lineups? Aaron Baines, Gary Trent, even at, at 6K. Kem Birch. I mean, how can I build lineups still with chalky players, but still get different enough? And have, have, have a different construction that other people will have. So yeah, Giant Squid had plenty of Eric Pascal, but no Anthony Simons. 
made a bunch of play Jeremy Lamb probably in, in the shooting guard spot instead. That's why he needed 47% of them. Right? Kyle Lowry, 42%. Like, look how much leverage you get over there. Kyle Anderson, right? He needed a small forward. I mean, he didn't get there. Robert Covenant, right? Finding constructions. Plumley, he had a great game. I had some Plumley. Derek Rose, who just DNP'd for no reason. <laughs> Did you play Derek Rose last night and just wonder, uh, where is he? <laughs> we didn't have any news about that. Just no, DNP, CD, <laughs> gone. Zero, but really, Derek Rose scored zero, and Pascal scored a uh, four and a half. So, not much of a difference there if you played one over the other. But that's why you study Results DB. You go to RotoGrinders.com/slash/ResultsDB. It's free. You don't even have to be a premium member. You go to any contest. I mean, they they update it typically in the mornings. And you could you could find all this information. You go here. You click on, you know, Jim Bob one or over here. They they doubled. So sometimes you get this error. The lineups twice. You can take a look at the winning lineup and go here. Here's the winning lineup. And then you could go to the ownership column and you could select whatever players you want, whatever users. So, what were their exposures? What did they play? To see the constructions, I don't necessarily care about the players. I care about the constructions. Yeah, obviously, Vooch, Westbrook, Pascal, Brown, Simon. Yeah, I, I, I know who the chalk is. You don't have to tell me that. Like how do they get, how do they use the chalk and still get different elsewhere? Did I go on the same paths that they did? Not everyone, not all of them. I mean, look at E. Hafner. Like just, no, I'm going to fill my small, I'm going to pay up at small forward and build a ton of construction with Kawhi Leonard. Absolutely get it. That's why he had less Jalen Brown because obviously small forward, small forward. Right? How do I get off Brown and build lineups without him? play Vooch and Leonard together. That also means he needs to find some cheapness somewhere, right? So we go down here, couldn't play Gobert in those types of lineups. Gary Clark, there's 6% Gary Clark with 12 points. Covington, Anthony, some James Ennis, Terrence Ross, Ken Birch. So there, there, this is the center, right? So that's leverage off of Vooch. So you have Ken Birch at Twenty-four percent, Vooch. Oh, we actually had some overlap. Hundred and six percent total. We had a couple of lineups with Vooch and Birch together. I don't know about that, but I mean, Birch was cheap enough, I guess. Some Wanamaker, even one Desmond Bain, Kent Bazemore. Why well, he just was taking shots? Tyus Jones, Ish Smith. So basically, he was just trying to take shots so he didn't have to play like all the Pascal or all the Simons, all the Looney. So I could play Kawhi Leonard at 9,200 in the small forward spot. Okay. That was a viable path. I did one. I didn't go on, but okay. I get it. How did they get different? That's what you're looking at. Where did they get leverage? What were the constructions? And you're going to find that, that all of them have different, different approaches but it's not going to be lineups that are just like all chalk and that's it in large field GPPs. So if you go through it, you could get ideas. Just get ideas of, Oh yeah, that you're right. I could have done that. Oh, you, Oh, that, that didn't work out, but I see what they were doing there. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. So then in the next slate in future slates, you could start thinking of more possibilities and not thinking in terms of players, think in terms of what, the lineups look like. 
Well, he played a lot of this guy. Who cares? What did the construction look like? Micah J played less Westbrook. So how did he get different by not playing Westbrook? Didn't play Melton either as a cheap point guard shooting guard. So you see Lowry, Grant, Oubre, Jeng. I mean, look at how, how many, look at how many players, how much exposure he had on players that barely owned. 6%, 5% owned. Baines, Plumley. So kind of spread it around. Gary Trent. To avoid the, the chalk construction. That was hit. That was his approach. I get it. It's a not approach I took, but I get it. I get what he did. Feel free to hit the like, hit the like button, the like button, the thumbs up button, the thummy thumbs, whatever you want to call it. Keep my apple juice. It's it's not cold. I can tell you it's not cold. But it's not warm. It's like room temperature. I'm going to have to get another one after the show. Let's go through the YouTube chat some more. <coughs> Keep on scrolling through, scrolling through. Oh, let's see. Doug Sellier says, I really want to thank you for your insight and approach. You provided some great clarity over my thinking this past three weeks. And it's really changed the way I play DFS. Thanks. Thanks, man. Which is great. Don't get too good because I don't want you in my contest. But whatever. I, no, no problem. I like going through chat. And, and, and I like talking about the compliments, right? So the podcast people are jealous. That's why I do it. So the podcast people can hear this because you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. DFS pregame show, the Roto Grinders DFS pregame show. Uh, it's a, like an orange box that the artwork is. Subscribe there. You could listen to the show later. I mean, you obviously could watch the show later here on YouTube. It's, it's archived. Uh, it's also on the Roto Grinders website as well. But uh, I want I want the podcast people because they don't they don't get to see the chat. So I I need to mention I need to mention all the compliments. Uh, Matt Mears asked, from a lineup perspective, should an 800-person contest at $20 be treated differently than an 800-person contest at $1? From a field size perspective, no. But the ownership could be different because maybe in the higher stakes, they're sharper players. That would be the only reason. Like, it doesn't matter. If the if the ownership was the same, if the projected ownership and the, and, and the field size was the same, you wouldn't trade it any differently. doesn't matter. It could be a $10,000 contest. Who cares? <coughs> But typically, obviously at the $1 level, restricted players like me, people, users that have more than $1 million of lifetime entries can't play in it. So a lot of times the lower stakes are, are a bit softer. So the best plays, the best projected players tend to be a little less owned. The chalk is a little less chalky. While at the higher stakes, the chalk tends to be chalkier. So that would be the only difference, Matt Mears. But I mean, you have to you have, you have to take that into account. We we don't have ownership projections for like per contest size. It's general for like the large field GPP. That's what the ownership that you're looking at on on Roto Grinders. That's that's what it's going to be. So you have to scale it up or down depending on you know the contest that you're in. Let's see. 
Okay. Yeah, people are answering. They're, they're answering my questions in the chat. We have some smart people in the YouTube chat. They didn't even have to wait for, for my answer. Kai Roach asks, does the skill level of the other players affect the amount of leverage you need in the tournament, regardless of field size? No. But you know that obviously the best, I, I said it before. The skill level means that people are more likely to identify pricing inefficiencies. The best projected players for their price are, are more likely to be owned. And the leverage and people are able to build plus EV lineups better in those contests. So, so you need to, you need to be, you need to build better lineups than that. Right. And it's all depending on slate. People keep on asking how much do, how much, like I, there's a number. It depends on the slate. How much, how do you determine? Well, it depends on the, you have to run the lineups to see what the differences between the lineups are. So right now at 10, 13 projections right here. I run 40 lineups, just nothing, no groups, no nothing. Just give me the top 40 lineups based on median projections. What's the difference between one and 40? One is 301, 40 is 296. So it's like a five point difference, okay? So you could give up, to, in order to get the 300th lineup or 500th lineup or 1,000th, lineup you're obviously going to have to you have to sacrifice more than five points because the top top 40 goes to five points so now you know that if you have the difference between 301 and 296 this ownership which we don't have yet this early has to move in relation to it so the more and more you give up median the less and less ownership your lineup should have and then how much ownership leverage do you need in a small field GPP? Not as much. So if, you, if the optimal is 301 and you're playing small field, maybe you don't give up more than five or six points based on this. Maybe you don't. Now you wouldn't give that up and get no ownership in return. No, of course, you need to get an ownership discount. The more and more you get off the optimal lineup. But in small field, you just don't need as much. You don't need as much leverage. You don't need as much ownership discount. Large field, you need. You may need tons of it. So based on this, we get Maladon, Diallo, DeRozan, Jas Justin Jackson. Because right, we have SGA is out. Sabonis, Gordon, Jalen Brown, and Bradley Beal. So maybe Maladon, Diallo, and Jackson maybe a little bit negatively correlated. I mean, I guess they could all get there for the prices, right? They could. So now I'm going to take a look and go, look, Jalen Brown's in like everything. Maladon's in everything. Sabonis, showing up on a bunch. DeRozan, Eric Gordon. So now I'm going to look at this and go, well, how do I get leverage? I can get leverage by not playing Brown. So I I, I take out Brown. I get leverage by not playing Maladon. So I take I take him out. Let's say, let's run 40 lineups and see what it looks like. If I don't play either of those two, because I'm going to gain a lot of leverage by not playing them. What am I getting? I don't know what the ownership's going to be. So it's not in yet. 295. So I'm not giving up that much. 
right? Six, still giving up six points, but not playing either of them. That also means I have to play Justin Jackson and Hamadou Diallo and Garrison Matthews and Bradley Beal together. Not a big fan of that. Maybe you group that out. So this is what I'm looking at. I'm looking at lineups. I do this every morning. Say Gordon and Oladipo, maybe you don't play together, right? So you're just looking through Dort, Diallo, and Jackson. I mean, it's dead. they're doable at their prices. Baisley in here, so maybe we're going to get a lot of thunder. A lot of thunder, a lot of th- basically thunder and rockets. I mean, that's going to be the popular game. DeRozan, because Aldridge is out today. So we're going to get some Rudy Gay in there, Keldon Johnson. So that's all I'm doing is looking at this and then looking how much, how much, how much median am I giving up? But in relation to the ownership, I have no ownership yet. So I have no clue. Well, let's go back to the first build. Let's say I just don't play Jalen Brown and I don't mind the OKC value. Let's see what shows up. Two ninety-seven point eight. Okay, but we still have to play all the all the thunder. But we're not playing, not playing Brown. But then obviously we're gonna get a bunch of Tatum in our lineups. Get DeRozan and Gay together. You get three OKC players together. Like some of these things may be a little bit negatively correlated, right? So we're gonna go, go back to the first one, add Brown. So we take a look at these lineups. Maybe we make a group that I don't want to have. Like like we have Dort. Dort, Baisley, Horford, just, I'm just making up. Uh, Maladon, uh, Jackson, Diallo. Seems like those were the, those are the main guys that were throwing up. Maybe we just don't, we don't want to play more than one of them, maybe. Right? Doesn't mean that maybe you play two of them. I'm just giving you an example. Maybe we don't play DeRozan and Gay together. Maybe let's see what what other things are in here. I'm gonna ten games play Gordon and Oladipo. I saw. Maybe play Gordon and Oladipo. We're not gonna play together. Now this is gonna limit the amount of combinations that could be made because now it's not gonna make those lineups. So now I'm gonna build forty lineups like that. Right, our top optimal is three hundred one. I don't know what the ownership is, but I just know it's three hundred one currently based on the projections. So now we get this type of lineup. Is Schmidt and Matthews probably not playing together? Brown and Tatum, maybe you don't play together. So now you're going to go back in here and you go Smith, Matthews. Let's throw in Beal. I'm assuming the, the Wizards are coming up because we're expecting Russell Westbrook to sit on a back-to-back. I'm assuming that. Brown and Tatum here. Okay, and then let, let's, let's, let's keep on going. Let's see what lineups look like. As of right now, as of 10, 13 a.m. projections. Okay, we got Brogdon, Maladon, Matthews, Sabonis, Zeller. Okay, look a little bit better. I guess you you could play Brogdon and Sabonis together. You could. Murray and, and Rosen. Okay, so now, now we're going to go back and go, okay, we're going to do more of this stuff. Where's, where's the, there they go. Let's add Deontay Murray back into this. Let's do a Brogdon-Sabonis separation. Doesn't mean that you end up with this. So, so you're looking there, don't take notes and go, oh, this is exactly what you do. No, maybe you do play these two together. Maybe you do play two of these guys. I mean, I'm just showing you as an example. I'm gonna run another 40 lineups. It's gonna be 20 lineups, it'll be five lineups, it'll be 100 lineups, whatever. I do 40, it's a little bit, 
It's, it's less time consuming for the sake of the show than doing a hundred. Okay. Gordon, Maladon, Bridges, Sabonis, Zeller, Beal, Gay, Jalen Brown. Okay. There's 292. So you're giving up, you're giving up like nine points of median, but this lineup is going to be fairly low owned, right? Still going to have some chalk pieces. Still going to have Gordon, Maladon, Bridges will be somewhat popular with PJ Washington out. Right, we still get we still got Sabonis and Maladon and Brown, so we still got like chalk pieces in here. But I don't know how old Zeller's going to be today. Right, you're looking at Josh Richardson's in this lineup, so now we're starting to look at lineups that still play chalk and get an ownership discount. And look, we're sacrificing about eight or nine points to do so. So based on this, on this current slate, eight or nine points would be fine, assuming that the ownership came down with it. I don't. I'm. I'm going under the assumption that this lineup is leveraged enough for the contest, that the, this number is going to be lower than obviously the top 40 optimals. So there you go. So on this specific slate, as of right now, as of the 10, 13 AM projections, eight or nine points is fine. There you go. Now it wants to start value starts coming up. I mean, we start, because this guy's going to sit and this guy's going to play and whatever. This may end up being like, you don't want to, it could be to the point where it's sacrificing 15 is fine. It could be to the point in some slates where there's no value that sacrificing nine is eight or nine is way too much. Because the players project too closely together. Basically because of uh, the OKC players. And they also, they're pricing down. I don't know, Sabonis is coming down in price? I don't know why. Like, they're going to project well. They're going to, it's going to want to put a lot of lineups with them in it. So in order to fade a Sabonis, I mean, we take a look here at the player pool, just by RGV. If you fade Brown, if you fade Sabonis, Eric Gordon is projecting extremely well, Maladon extremely well, Diallo, Rudy Gay a bit, right? If, you, if you're going to fade some of these guys, you know, your, your median projection is going to go down. But your ownership should go down with it. But you have to test this. You have to see what the relative amount of points is for this given slate at this given time with these given projections. So it's not a thing that every day, oh, it's always eight or nine every day. No, it's not always eight or nine every day. And also you have to scale that to the, the field size. You're playing a hundred man contest. You're probably still not even giving up eight points of median. You don't have to. You don't have to get that much leverage. Large field, yeah, you are. Playing a thirty thousand person field, yeah, then you are. Probably sacrificing ten points, eleven points, fourteen points even on this slate based on that rel based on the relative value of the lineups. So that's what I need to see what the relative value of the lineups are. How many are there? Right? Because look top 40 in this scenario with all those groups 292 at the top the 40th is 289 there's probably another 100 that's 288 287 to it like there's just so many of them now because these players aren't going to project all that much different once you start getting down with it then that that's the limit where you say okay i don't have to give up much more median because any lineup i choose has around the same median anyway with the same ownership. But there's no distinct number. There's no exact number. Well, how much? Well, it depends on the slate. 
And you go, well, it depends on the slate side. No, it depends on the projections of the players. Depends on the where, what positions they're even at. How do lineups get formed? We have slates where you see small forward. There's literally, there's no one of value. Like you just, ugh. Like that's not, it's going to force you to play a, a certain players in the small forward spot because of that. So that's going to affect the total projection of your lineups. So I know I get this, I get this question so much. How much, how much this, how much that? There's no number. There's no specific number. Some slates, three may be too much. Some slates, 15 is perfectly fine. That's why, you, that's why using a tool like Lineup HQ, which is for premium members, you get our premium projections. Right, take a look at our projections team. They're not the most attractive people, but they know what they're doing. They decide to put it on the little advertisement anyway. You get that. You get the line of page view. You could use this as a tool, even if you're hand building, even if you're just doing single entry three max. This is what I, I the past month, I'm, I've been playing single entry and three max stuff. I have not been multi, massively multi entering. I still use lineup HQ as much as if I did. So I'm doing things like I'm showing you right now. What do these types of lineups look like? Then once I get ownership, now I have something to compare it to. Let's see. Going through the YouTube chat some more. If you got any questions, some last questions, feel free to post in the YouTube chat. That apple juice is not cold anymore. You're not giving enough thummy thumbs, so give up, give some of the thumbs. Let's see. Let's see if there's anything else in the chat. Uh, Ronald Coley says, uh, did you say the further you get from the optimal lineup score, the less ownership you should have? Yeah, of course. Why would you, why would you want to play... Why would you play, want to play a lineup that projects five points lower with the same amount of ownership? You're just giving up five points for nothing. Just saying, just going to give it to me and say, thank you. That would be a negative EV lineup. If I could build, if I could build a lineup that, that projects five points higher than you and we're both going to be the same ownership, like, why would you do that? Yeah, it could. Yes, you're right. On one slate, it could win. But I'm talking, if you build those types of lineups in the long run, you're going to be a losing player. But you see tons of them in the contests. You see tons of them in there. Let's see. And this is for GPP, like for like cash games. You're probably you're you don't even care about ownership at that point. Practically, practically, just play the best median build that you can. That has that the, the narrowest range of outcomes. You you just have to get above the double up line. That's it. You don't have to come in first. You don't need leverage to come in first in a double up. It doesn't do you any good. You don't get paid anymore. So I hope you I hope you get everything out of the, the pregame show. I mean, it's not a, it's not a show for picks and plays and stuff. Like even going through these lineups. I mean, are these are these guys plays? Are we playing Eric Gordon today? Does that happen? I don't even know. This is the first time I'm even looking at it. Rudy Gay. Okay, I guess so. Because right, we have Aldridge out, we got uh, SGA out. 
Well, who knows? Who knows who else is going to be at? Westbrook probably sitting on a back-to-back. Is that confirmed? I don't know. Someone will tell me. I'll get the Roto-Grinders alert when that happens. Right? You can download the Roto-Grinders app, and uh, the news comes to you. You don't have to worry about it. So feel free. Hit the thumbs up button on the way out if you're on the podcast feed. Hey, podcast people, rate and review in iTunes. We got a big slate today. Uh, Hopefully all the games happen, right? We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We got 10 games. You never know. What's the late game? Let's see what, what game is going to screw us. And we can, the Boston Sacramento game. Oh, COVID tracing up. Ah, you're done. Right. Free roll time. Right. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but we'll see, but we'll go over, we'll go over the slate and we'll review it tomorrow and then do what we always do every day. This is what I do in the morning. Normally, I can't believe they pay me to do this. This is what I do in the morning. Other than I'm not just yelling to no one. Right. I'm talking to you guys. This is what I do. This is how I research. This is how I play. Maybe it'll work for you. Maybe it doesn't work for you. But understand these concepts. And uh, you should become a, a more profitable player at DFS. And that's what, I, that's what I aim to do. As long as you stay out of my contests. I don't want you to be in my contest when you get better. But hopefully I could stay ahead of you. Hopefully I could still be a little bit ahead of you as I teach you the concepts of playing DFS like a uh, like a professional player, which you could get the 15-hour audio masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. If you want all these content, structured education, you get bits and pieces in this show, right? But if you want it all in one place, an encyclopedia of daily fantasy sports game theory with me and James McCool, 15 hours of audio that you could listen, you could listen to it on repeat if you want. Three months down the road, three years down the road, it'll still apply. So go pick that up at theoryofdfs.com. And I'll see you tomorrow on another edition of the DFS pregame show here on rotogrinders.com.